We've been studying the book of Ephesians, and we're going to wrap up the study today. So if you've been with us, this is the last Sunday. It, it did finally get here, and uh, we will finish Ephesians today, and then we will move forward into fall. Uh, so we're so excited that um, we had the opportunity to, to walk through God's Word. It's been a transformative time in Scripture. You know, sometimes we just want to get in the church, get that, like, quick message and get out and kind of, you know, move on. And I honestly, I was praying, and I honestly think that the reality is it's hard to ingest. It's, it's, it's easy enough to read. It's still easy, easier um, to talk, but living out Scripture is really where the battle is. That's where the fight is at. And, and as we enter into this very last week of the book of Ephesians, this very last sec- section of Scripture, um, we're reminded of a reality um, in all that we've talked about, that this following of Jesus, that this very simple command from the, the unique uh, um, son of God, son of man, we sang about earlier, that, that in his incarnation, when Jesus walked and said, follow me, that was the beginning of a spiritual battle. And, and Paul says as much at the end of the letter of Ephesians. I, I want to remind you, as I have every week, that the first three chapters of Ephesians, if, you, if you've not been here for any of the series, I would encourage you to read the first three chapters and ingest the reality of the gift that we have in Jesus Christ. This isn't about, like, going out and doing great work because, you know, uh, we're trying to please God. This is, it first comes about con- consuming our understanding or being filled with the reality of what Christ has done to let it saturate our minds and saturate our lives to the point that it's coming out of our ears. The word literally says, till it's overflowing from us. You must first know the reality of Christ. That's the first three chapters of Ephesians. And then Paul says in 4, 5, and 6, because we have this abundant Savior, because we have this God-man who's come to die to save us, to forgive our sins, that he was raised to new life to give us eternal hope for glory with God, a restoration of all things, including all the way back to the Garden of Eden, we can go into the world and proclaim the good news. And he challenges us as believers in Jesus then to put off our old selves and put on Christ. To, to break old habits and put on new habits that will transform us to be like him. And uh, it's been a great joy, but I can tell you, like I said, as I was praying, I'm like, Lord, I, there's, you know, how do we live this out in our lives? And so that'll be the real struggle. And so today as we um, continue, and like I said, we're going to finish our study, um, we are... Uh, um, going to kind of hit this last bit. And I told you last week, I feel like it's this launching, um, this, this kind of springboard to action that Paul is calling the church to. Um, so I wanted to actually share the scripture with you this morning. And uh, let me see here. I can push right there. You go. And it's going to be Ephesians uh, chapter 6, verses 10 through 24. Um, it's on page 813, very little bit on 813 and 814 of your, if you use one of our Bibles, if you brought your own you'll be able to find it pretty readily. It's in the letters to the churches of which we are one. So I'm going to read the scripture with you today. Hear the word of God with me, if you will. Starting in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God.
Praise God. Join me in prayer. Father God, as we open your word this morning, I pray you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear the realities that you're teaching us. This world that we live in, that we sometimes feel so lost and broken in, Father, that you're making a way forward for your people. I pray that we would be found as those who are faithful servants. And if in no other time in our life, if never before we've done this, I pray today that we would humble ourselves, we would set at your feet, and we would hear your word today. We don't want the trappings of man. We don't want anything. We want you and your instruction today. And so, Father, uh, by the power of your Spirit and your promised Holy Spirit who teaches us all things, I pray that you would uh, teach us your word today, that we could become more faithful followers of yours for your glory and for our good and the good of the world. And the people of Jesus say, amen. Praise God. So here's what was crazy as we were coming into this last week. You know how bad I am at planning. I told you that our, our camp was about to. So here's Christy Lane. She says, hey, Bill, can we do something? Team Kenya has been memorizing the armor of God for our trip to Kenya, Africa. Can we share that with the church? And I was just like, I just sat back and I just had to laugh because, um, God is always, always ahead of us on these things. And of course, I said, yes, <laughs> of course you can. God is at work. Who tells the sovereign creator of the universe, not today? Um, praise God. Thank you, Team Kenya, for sharing that. Thank you for your um, faithfulness and, and, and you know, considering God's word and storing in your heart so that in the day of battle, in the day of battle, you will be ready to fight. And so that's really what today is going to be about, is being battle-ready. And uh, I wanted to ask this question as we start off um, thinking about spiritual matters, okay? Because here's what a lot of times church turns into. A lot of times church turns into the checkbox on a list of things to do. A lot of times it means you go to church on Sunday and you feel like you're doing okay. You're definitely doing better than the other guy who slept in this morning, and that's your job. And, and, and somehow, by the mystery of you coming in and going out week after week, God is pleased, and, uh, you know, you, you, your uh, spouse doesn't hate you, and you're able to fulfill your duty, okay? But the reality that Paul teaches us from Scripture is far more robust than that. He certainly advocated gathering together with believers and encouraging one another, but, but for what? Paul believed we were entered in a spiritual battle in our lives, This means a lot. It means that for every person who is far from Christ, and here's the message of the gospel, by the way, that Jesus, God himself, came as in the form of a man and lived a sinless life. And after doing miracles upon miracles and and loving sinners and and being, you know, cast out and made fun of for who he hung out with because he hung out with the worst of the worst, like you and me, we put him on a cross and, and you could think, well, you know, we put him on the cross. But the reality is this. We aren't sinners because we killed Jesus. Jesus died because we're sinners. You see, we aren't guilty because we put Christ on the cross. Christ put himself on the cross because there was no way to have peace with God. And so when Paul writes to the church, he's not writing to like the, the Sunday people. He's not writing to the crowds that just come and go. He's writing to the people of God. And he's saying, because Christ has poured himself out, you are to enter into the battle. As a matter of fact, he doesn't even invite you. He says, it's a reality. 
This means that whenever we go out with like SDTC, somewhere dedicated to Christ, and we try to share our faith, there's a spiritual war going on. And the first part of that battle comes even in us daring to walk out the front door. It means whenever there's a young family wondering how we're going to provide for ourselves, and God opens the door, and you heard the story this morning, he steps through it. It's God is more interested in that heart that's willing to go than where you're going to go. Whenever people decide that they're going to travel around the world to share the gospel, he's more interested in our heart to go into the battle with him. And so Paul says, you are in a spiritual battle. I want you to hear the word of God with me today. He says, finally, finally, after all the instructions, after all the teaching we've done out of the book of Ephesians, he says, here's the last of the matter. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. This is going to be a continual thought through this whole refrain of the spiritual warfare that we're after here. Put on the full armor of God. This is the total, complete armor so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Paul's saying that there's an active war going on, and it doesn't just, it's, it's, so what I want to say earlier is it doesn't just start when you become a believer in Christ, you see. If you're like me, you, you come to church a long time. You maybe heard the gospel for a long time, but there was a fight, wasn't there? There was a fight to raise your hand when the preacher said, you want to accept Christ. There was a fight to get out of your seat and come down when you were asked, does he want to be baptized? There was a fight of submission. There was a fight. It was a wrestle. It was a war. And you knew it. And there comes a time when you submit to the reality of God in the world, and you submit to the reality of his son, our only savior, and you give yourself and you receive this gift of salvation, as Paul said, those who are dead but are now alive, and you realize that you're a victor in Christ. Whew, praise God. But the spiritual battle isn't over here. Paul says, get ready because the battle is ongoing. The call is to continue to fight, to trust God in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. He literally means, this is what it literally means, that the devil, the adversary, by the way, devil is a weird word for us anymore. We think it's like that cute Halloween costume, you know, that we put on. It's nothing like that. There's a real adversary, and this idea of scheming is like his tricks or his traps, his, his methodology to reach you, you see. And many of us, that's our first mistake. We don't think that there's anyone against us. We think that it's all, this is all made up. There's, you know, I believe in Jesus, but I don't believe in that devil thing. There's no adversary who's fighting my, and you know what? I think that that's, you've lost the war. If this is our condition that we just discount our enemy, the enemy that God says to his word exists. The enemy that he says he cast out of his kingdom, and you want to be part of his kingdom? And you're saying to the God who is fighting for you, there's no need. I mean, what was the cross about? Victor, our King, our Savior Christ. And Paul says, don't doubt it, church. There's an enemy who is scheming, who is planting traps. We don't need to be obsessed about it, but we need to know it's a reality. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, the total protection. The word means every weapon that God has given you to fight. That's a shame, isn't it? Wouldn't it be a real shame is if you were entering into battle and you didn't equip yourself properly for the fight? I want you to think real practically about this for a moment. You'll remember a few years ago, we got ourselves involved in a uh, conflict in the Middle East. I had some family members who were part of that conflict. And one of the things that happened early on was this. We had soldiers on the ground that didn't have the right equipment to fight with. And boy, we were mad, weren't we? We were so aggravated. 
And we're like, we're like calling people, our congressmen, we're like, get the equipment over there. We had people, we had civilians sending equipment over on their own and our soldiers making their own gear because they were not safe without the equipment. That's tragic, isn't it? You know what's more tragic in my mind? Can you imagine if we had stockpiled the equipment and our soldiers just ran out into the field with nothing on? Can you imagine how foolish it would be to enter into a battle with no gear? My brother-in-law who deployed into both Afghanistan and Iraq told me it was profound as he prepared to go into battle. The fight was leaving his family behind. As we've talked about this morning, that's a war in of itself. But when he gets on the plane and he flies, he gets there and he starts to be handed the gear. He starts to be equipped for the fight. And by the time he gets there, I mean to tell you, I've been in his house. He's got the glasses. He's got the you know, helmet. He's got the flak jacket. He's got the camelback. He's got the pants. He's got these, you know, protectors. He's got a gun that he, you know, he hardly ever uses. And he's he's medical guy, but he's got this weapon. He's got the boots. He's got all this gear. You've seen the images, haven't you? We would never send our soldiers out to fight unless they were ready for battle. And yet, church. God says, there's a war going on. A war that was so serious, I gave my son, my son's life to win it. And then we go like, eh, I, I'm good. I'll go just like I am into the battle. And we run through and wonder why it's not working. Well, Paul says, church, put on the full armor of God. Equip yourself rightly. God has given us all the weapons to fight the enemy, and it's for our shame, it's for our foolishness that we don't take them and fight, that we just roll over, or that we say the enemy isn't even there, so, you know, and we see the carnage around us in and out of the church of an enemy who's ready for a fight. Look at verse 12 with me. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. When Paul says we have an enemy to fight, it would be a mistake. It would be a mistake to think it's out that we can see it. Everything that Paul says here, it says it's not about what we can see. It's about the things that are unseen. I'll tell you why this is a problem. Because you and I are good at fighting with each other. You know what I mean? I mean, you and I can find, we can find conflict. We can make conflict up out of nothing, <laughs> you know? We can fight over anything. Just look at our world. But Paul says to the church, church, the battle is not against flesh and blood. And that's what the word means there. I want you to see very clearly. It's not, it's not about the flesh, you know, this kind of other people. It, it's not, the word means kindred of the same kind. You see, because we do a great job of turning God's children into our enemies. Let me, let me illustrate it for a minute. You see someone who's acting a fool and doesn't know Christ. You know what we do? You know, we judge them. Sinner, you know, we, 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 uh, we, don't, we don't share. We don't extend ourselves into their space. We don't, sh we don't run with them with the message of the good news. We kind of judge them from a distance. We, we say the pharisaical prayer that Jesus says will never be heard by our holy God. We stand in the sanctuary and we say, God, I'm just glad I'm not like that guy that's so far from you. <laughs> you know what Jesus says? That guy is in the back saying, Lord, I'm not even worthy to enter your presence. He says, that guy, that guy's prayer is heard. We turn flesh and blood into enemies, and we say, 
Shouldn't be doing, that's wrong. You shouldn't be out there. We turn flesh and blood into enemies in the church, too. This is, you know, you become part of the church when you believe in Jesus Christ. You know that's true? The church isn't a building you go to. It's not even a service you attend. It's the people of God. The, the, the spirit poured out into his people, manifesting his kingdom here on earth. It's the reality that we live in as believers in Christ. And when you accept Christ as Savior, you are his bride. You are part of his covenant promise. And you will be saved. And therefore, you are in his kingdom. But we turn our, one another in the kingdom, don't we? We turn our, in the enemies. I, I just feel that in my heart all the time. I see a situation that we're facing. I don't even consider if it's a spiritual matter. I immediately think, if I can control that person, if I could manipulate that person, if I could get that person to do what I want, if that person would just go away, and this sinfulness breeds in our heart. Paul says it's not a battle of flesh and blood. Whether it's outside the church or inside the church, whether it's going out and sharing your faith with the lost, whether it's encouraging a brother or sister in Christ, it's not a fight with other people. It's a fight of principalities and power, is what the word says. Against rulers, that means those who were here from the beginning, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world. And my favorite one is the last one, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. I'm thinking, what? He's saying that there's this battle going on. You know, there's this prayer we pray in the church. Sometimes we say, um, your will be done on earth as it is in what is it? Yeah, we pray that prayer. We say, Lord, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's right. You know what's happening in heaven? A war is going on. He says there's principalities and powers that are around, that are, that are around heaven where our king dwells, and there's a spiritual battle, and the fight that we fight, and this is why Christy said that verse, prayer is going to be key to everything we do because the war is with these eternal battles, these, these, I shouldn't say eternal because there will be a finite end to it, but a long beginning, a very long beginning. Long before you were born, the war was on. And Paul says here, you were called to equip yourself for the battle ahead. Because this is a reality, he says in verse 13, because this is a reality, therefore, put on the full armor of God. There's the word again. Use every weapon that God has given you to fight the enemy. So that, listen to what he says, so that when the day of evil comes, it doesn't say if the day of evil comes. It says when the day of evil comes, you can, I lost my place. Here we go. You may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything to stand. Isn't that remarkable? You know, we have this idea that we're going to like jog to the finish line. He's like, the, the battle is going to be so intense that you're just going to lean against the enemy with it. You're going to equip yourself head to toe with the armor of God. You're going to have every weapon at your disposal, and you're going to lean hard into the enemy. And your only goal is that by the end of this life, you are still standing firm in the promises of Christ. That is a, a, the word says this, good and faithful servant. Not the triumphant victor who laps around and carries the checkered flag and hurrahs himself for his great victory. You will have stood by the end. You will be found standing. It literally means to stand against the enemy so that at the end, you are the one who is still standing in the battle. So then 14, stand firm, Paul says then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. 
I love this. We're going to walk through these real quick, enumerating this. So the question is, it's a spiritual battle, and the question I'm going to have for you today is, are you wearing the armor of God? Team Kenya, are you wearing the armor? I know he's got that little shield, right, going on. Are you wearing the armor of God? The first thing he says is, the word says, buckle the belt of truth around your waist. Do you guys wear a belt today? You know what's really funny about this is uh, the, the word here doesn't quite get to the gravity of what God's talking about. <laughs> He's not saying cinch up your pants so they don't fall down. Oh, that's a good strategy when you're going to fight, not to have your pants fall <laughs> down, <laughs> right? It's, it's this idea that you gather, you know, they, in, the, in the day they had, the, the uh, soldiers would have these kind of longer skirt kind of things they would wear. They were longer garments. They would hang down, you know, like maybe some of the new kids wear, you know, with the really, I don't know what they're wearing, actually, but most of them wearing tight. But you know what I'm saying. This, and what he said is he said, take the belt of truth and gird yourself. He, he means to gird your loins. It says wear the belt around your hips. He means like protect the important stuff because it's going to be a fight. You hear what I'm saying? He, he means get ready, because it's going to be a battle. But this girding of the loins isn't only, I, I want you to know, the, the word literally means descendants. It means protect your descendants. Now, I'm going to let you use your imagination how you protect your descendants in a fight. But it means if you want to have kids someday, be ready for the fight, okay? But he says, get ready. But here, here's what else. It was a place that they stored money. It, it was like an old school money belt. They would put their treasures in there, their truth. You know, we know here at Family Bible Church that truth means no deceit. It means everything being laid bare. And the first thing he calls us to do is to, to cinch ourselves, to gird. You know, you think about a girdle. Remember the old girdles? Uh, do you guys ever wear one of those things where they put the foot in the back and you, you know? But something else it did besides make you have to talk funny and not be able to breathe right is it made you fast in battle. You were quick. If you walk in the truth, you will be better equipped to deal with the enemy's attacks. You will, you will be able to parry more quickly. You know what I'm saying? It's a fight. And you'll be able to twist and turn and, and be ready to run when you need to run. And by the way, let's hold that thought because, you know, um, it depends on how you're thinking about running there. But he's like, bind yourself up. Get your legs free. Get ready to fight. Protect what's important. Know the truth and enter the battle. Be willing. That's, I tell you what, being willing to live a life of truth. Paul has said this repeatedly in Ephesians, speaking the truth in love is one of the hardest, most challenging things we can do. Daring to risk truth with those we love and, and trying to speak truth in a loving manner, wearing the belt of truth around our waist. Next thing he says is putting on the breastplate, uh, the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate's pretty obvious. It covers, if you think about where it is, it covers your ribcage area, really. Some of them extended, but it was really about this armor that goes right here, you know? And the most vital organ that you have in your lower extremity, and this might be shocking for some of you, would be in this area. Because you can live without other stuff. You can't live without your heart, your lungs, right? You take a wound, you take a shot there, you're done for. So he's like, put on this breastplate of righteousness, now, some of you might be thinking, my armor is all nasty. Mine's not shiny, clean, let alone, it can't even withstand, it's rusted out, it's got holes in it. We don't wear our armor into battle. When he says put on the breastplate, I can't even say that this morning, of righteousness, <laughs> I should call him else, the chest protector of righteousness, uh, he means Christ, the one who can guard your heart until the day of judgment, the one who has sealed you with the promised Holy Spirit, 
He's saying, wear that. And, and this heart idea is this moral compass, the center of your life. Let it be protected by Christ that, that you would never be wounded there, that you could always find your way forward with God. Wear the breastplate of righteousness. It means judiciousness also. It means right judgment. Jesus will judge us, and the only judgment will be accepting his blood on the cross, to, to stand in him on that day of testing. Each of us will face it, and I hope that day you're ready. And so he says, wear the chest plate, the armor of God, right? The belt of truth, the, the breastplate of righteousness, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes with the gospel of peace. That's a mouthful right there, but basically if you think about it, this gospel thing that we know of, this good news of Jesus Christ, people need to hear it. And some of us, I mean, do you guys know what the gospel is? If you've heard the gospel before, would you raise your hand for me? Do you think you could explain to someone else what the gospel was? If someone said, what is this you believe about Jesus? Could you explain that to someone? Because what Paul says here about the gospel is that the gospel prepares us to be ready to go. He says, you strap it on the bottom of your feet, on the soles of your shoes, that you're ready. And let me tell you where the battle with the gospel is. You don't battle with the gospel by running away from your enemies. You run toward your enemy to fight. The gospel of readiness sends us out to where the battle is, to the front lines, to engage. And he says... Literally, he says, the gospel of Christ makes you ready, prepares you, and you strap that on your feet so you can go, putting on the, the feet, the, the, the shoes of the gospel of peace. Not for standing around. They, they're like high traction, you know what I'm saying? In addition to all this, he says, take up the shield of faith, which is, can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. The shield of faith, okay? This also is a gift, by the way. There's nothing here that we've equipped ourselves with. We show up and God says, here's the battle stuff, okay? So we've already heard some things we're supposed to put on. This is righteousness of Christ, equip ourselves. But the shield of faith is interesting because literally the, the idea was in the day that if you had a really poor shield, it was one of those little round ones. Have you seen some of the stuff? Some of the people who do Renfest and stuff, they get those little round arm shields, you know, little bitty things. What's interesting about the shield of faith that he's talking about is it looked like a door. It was as big as you were. There was nothing that could get through to hit you behind the shield. And you would carry the shield into battle. And there's a promise here. And some of you doubt it because I've talked to you. But there's a promise here that the faith that God has given you is more than enough to face your enemy. Some of you are sitting at home and you're saying, you know, when I have faith like that, well, then I'll go into battle. But it's not about us getting ready. It's about what God has done in you. I remember whenever I was a brand new believer. I mean, I was a brand new believer. And, and I was a non-believer for a long time. I remember I, I had just had this treasure. I had this experience with Jesus that he loved me. He forgave my sins. And I was like, yes, this is so awesome. And all I want to do is be left alone. And I mean, like the day three, I ran into a dude. And he was like hurling arrows. Like, watcha, watcha. And I, I met this guy, I talked to him, and I literally walked away and I talked to God about it. And I said, why would you do this to me? You know I'm just barely a believer. Why would you dare test my faith? And the God who is the giver said, I'm sorry. <laughs> I thought I gave that to you. I thought that was more than enough. Are you still standing 
You and I have this idea that we're going to put on this shield of faith and that when we get to heaven, when we get to heaven, it's going to be this, we're going to be like, look at our shield of faith. We've carried it around our whole life and it's pretty and it never got shot at. Did you see what the word said? It will extinguish every flaming arrow. That means you will take some shots. The word arrow isn't accurate. It means javelins. It means big, big artillery is going to hit it. It means you're going to be rocked behind the shield. And it's going to be a fight. And when you get to the day where you're still standing by the grace of God, listen to me, church, your shield is going to be battered and, you know, bent out of shape and have scorch marks on it. And it will have shown the test of time. But what the word says is the gift of faith is more than enough to cover you for the battle. If you carry it in, you are not running in naked before your enemy. Your God has gone before you. Therefore, carry the shield of faith, which can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. 17, take then with you the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And it's kind of funny, these last two, he kind of differentiates. He says, take the helmet with you and take the sword with you. These are things you pick up and you take with you, put on. The first thing that someone grabs, and I believe is true for God himself, when he grabs you as a sinner who is dead, necros in your sin, he grabs you by the ne- your head, and he, he owns you. He claims you. And here he says, put on the helmet of salvation. I want you to know today that if you know Jesus Christ as Savior, you are not at risk. Because who can pry you from his hands? You wear that over your head. You trust. It means the cornerstone, the foundation. I want you to be totally sold out that God himself cannot be beaten, that he has claimed you as his own. That's what the word says. And you wear this on your head. And then the last is the sword of the spirit, you know, the pneuma, the gift of God speaking, which is the word of God. It means the things that God has spoken in your life. And this is another area we talk about a lot at Family Bible Church, because we don't even know what God has promised over us in the battle. I'm learning, I hope you're learning as well, the reality of what God's promised over us. So that's what God says. He says, there's this battle coming. And Paul's like, church in Ephesus, be ready. It's coming for you, you know. So I'm, I'm going to share a story with you then. And we're going to finish with this. But I want to share the story with you because you may not believe me necessarily that he means a real fight. Paul was in chains, he writes at the end. An ambassador in chains. He was beat up and scarred. It was a fight. But it was totally worth it. And he was sharing that with us. Well, I'm going to share um, with you from uh, a story. You can turn it if you want, but you don't have to. It's from 1 Samuel 17. And I just want to tell you real quickly this, this battle narrative. You see, there was these two camps, these two sides. They were fighting. They were on top of these two big hills. And, and, and it was Israel, the people of God, and the Philistines, okay, on this other hill. And you've heard this story before, but, but here on this Philistine side, they're getting ready. They're going to do war cry. They're going to fight together. And this really big dude, his name Goliath, he's really big. It says he's nine feet tall. Like, I'm six feet. How does that? This is probably like, what, four feet? And then this. So he's like this big. 
And then Corey Adolph's walking up on me. You know what I'm saying? No, so here's Goliath. And Goliath is standing there. He's nine feet tall. It says that he, he wears a breastplate that weighs 150 pounds, is what the word says. And he's, he's got this javelin that the tip of it, I told you there was going to be an enemy coming after you, didn't I? And there's this javelin with this tip of it. And it says the tip weighs 15 pounds. You imagine getting hit with a 15-pound javelin from a guy who's nine foot tall who can carry a 150-pound chest plate. It's going to hurt, Right? And so here's Goliath, and he's ready for the fight. And he comes out, and he says to the people of God, he says, why should we fight like this? I will challenge any one of you to fight me in battle. And you know what the word says? It says that every one of God's people stood up and said, I'll fight you. And they all started to crowd around him. That's not what it says. It says the people and the king. King Saul was afraid. They were terrified of the enemy. And so Goliath goes back in to his camp, and he comes out that night, and he says, who's going to fight me? Who can take me on? There's no one. And listen, church, for 40 days, this guy comes out and mocks Israel and mocks the people of God and mocks the kingdom work that's supposed to be happening. And then there's this dude named David. And David is a shepherd boy. And David only gets to the front lines because he is bringing, he's bringing food for his brothers who are in battle. He has three older brothers who are fighting the war. And he's bringing food out between tending the sheep of his father. And he, he hurries up and he leaves the food with the provisioner to give it to all the people. And he runs out to his brothers and he says, hey, how's the war going? And they're like, we've been here 40 days. There's this guy across the way. He's really big and he keeps saying he'll fight one of us, but none of us want to fight him. And David's like, well, who, what do you get if you fight this guy? And they're like, you know, the king is so terrified. If anyone fights him, he's going to give you every, like, everything. If anyone would. And, and David starts to get this idea. And this is what the word says. The king calls David in. Because he starts to hear that David's like, I'll, I'll fight this guy. And the king meets with David, and he says, you're just a boy. Do you hear stuff like that in your life? You just got a little faith. You, 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 God doesn't, he's not expecting much of you. But David hears an insult, not against him, but against this great God. And so he says, I'll go fight him. And so the king says, all right, God bless you then. And you know what the king does? He puts on, I wanted to tell you this story because today we talk about the armor of God and you go, I go, my helmet of salvation is kind of crooked or, you know, my breastplate's kind of heavy for me or I don't really understand the way my shield works yet or my, my sword, I don't know enough. You know, listen, David gets dressed for battle in the king's armor. And it says he tried to walk around the tent and he couldn't move in it. He's like, and he tells the king, I can't fight like this. And he takes it all off. And instead, he uses what God has already given him, the things that he knew so well as a shepherd. He says, I fought lions, and I fought bears, and I fought them with a sling and a rock and my staff. And this is David. And so this is what David does. He goes out, and the word says, I love it. He says he picks five smooth stones. He puts them in his little pouch here, and he walks out there with a sling and his staff, and he goes out to Goliath, and he says, I will fight you. Now, Goliath is afar off, and he starts to walk closer, and he goes, what is this? You send a dog to fight me? Am, am, am I nothing to you? Do you think I'm going to, and this is what Goliath said, I'm going to kill you, and then I'm going to feed you to the birds, and then we're going to own all of you. 
And David says this, you have come here today not insulting me, but insulting the God who created everything. And he will deliver you into my hands this day. And this is what he says, and you can look it up in chapter 17 of 1 Saul, uh, Samuel, chapter 17, verse 47, he says, the battle belongs to the Lord. And I would not want to send you out thinking you would equip yourself and you can fight on your own because what David says, the battle belongs to the Lord. Well, we know the story, don't we? Goliath gets ready to fight. He's got all his gear on. He's got his armor bearer carrying his shield. He's ready to go. David takes one stone, puts it in there. This is what the word of God says. He slings this thing around and he lets it go and it goes right here, right in his, head, right in his forehead. The word says it sunk, sunk in. And this towering giant, for all of his language, for all of his big speech, for all of his threats, and for all of his taunting, collapses to the ground before this child, David. This young man who had enough faith to believe. Well, David isn't done. He goes over there. I hate to tell you this, church. You're not going to like it. He takes this great big sword out of this guy's hand, and he removes his head and he brings it back to the king Saul. And then he carries it through all the land. And the enemies run. They run in fear. And I think about the church of Jesus Christ. I think about the blood he shed on the cross to win a victory for you and for me. I think about us standing idly by while an enemy who's been beaten taunts us. And I think the battle is a gift. The question is, do we believe that our Lord has done it? I want to encourage you today that wherever you are, God is fighting for you. And this means if you are far from God, if you believe that you've sinned egregiously as I have, if you believe that you are so far from forgiveness, there's no way. I want you to know that the cross is all about God's fighting for you, beating your enemy. And then if you were in the church and you've been standing there like me and you've been kind of afraid to enter into the battle and kind of waiting for the opportunity... I pray that today you would know that God has poured his spirit into you, that the faith he's given you is enough, that the salvation he's promised over you is guaranteed. The gospel is for fast-feeded people. And you and I can go and vanquish the enemies of our God, not flesh and blood, principalities and power, setting captives free in his name. That should be our job, church. That should be our call. Please join me in prayer. Father, today we come first confessing that we have doubted you going before us. We, we, uh, and we know even in that you don't despise us or hate us. You just love us through our doubt. You just continue to show us your way forward. But today, Father, we acknowledge that you are victor in our life. And Father, for those here who don't believe the cross of Christ, who don't believe that the blood would cover their sin, I pray that your Holy Spirit would convince them in their innermost being, not an external communication, not something that they've been argued into, Father, but that your Spirit would move in the battle in their soul to set them free from the repression and the oppression of their enemy who holds them in bondage. I pray today you would set them free. Pray that in the name of Jesus Christ. 
And then I pray, Father, that as we dare to put our feet on the battlefield, that you would show us, you would teach us the equipment that you've given to us, that you would help us to wear it, to to bear it, and to use it, to take it up for your glory. And I pray that we would not slice and dice one another in this world, but we would fight the enemy at every turn, that by your grace and mercy, some might be spared, some might be saved. And in everything you're doing, Father, we give you praise and glory because you are so much bigger than us and you're doing so much more than us. And for that alone, we just thank you that we're able to even know you in this way. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the people of God say, amen.